For the last half century, technology and globalization has created extraordinary growth for states, organizations, and astonishing wealth and power for individuals. In the US, for example, over 30% of the country's wealth, some $45 trillion, is owned by just 1% of the population. Several studies, including the work of Kate Pickard and Richard Wilkinson, highlight what they call the pernicious effects that inequality have on societies. From physical and mental health, social mobility, community vitality, drug abuse and trust, outcomes are significantly worse in more unequal rich countries. In recent years, some of the mega-rich have started to give away some of their fortunes, such as Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Most recently, Yvonne Chouinard, the CEO of Patagonia and his family, have ensured that all future dividends of the company will be channeled to fight climate change. But if you make billions or even trillions, it's perhaps easy to imagine giving some or all of it back to the planet. But what about everyone else? Do we need to rethink how capitalism might work in a more sustainable way? In this show, we talk to Anna Anderson, part of a growing breed of entrepreneurs who are developing a new type of business that combines commercial and social impact. Welcome to the Evolving Leader Podcast, the show born from the belief that we need deeper and more committed leadership to confront the world's biggest challenges. I'm Scott Allender, co-host of the show, along with leadership expert and my friend, Mr. John Gomes. How you doing, John? I'm really good. How are you feeling, Scott? Uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling a mix of things uh, today. I won't go into a lot of detail, but the the feeling I'm predominantly experiencing at the moment is a sense of gladness as I uh, see and talk to you and, and Phil today, because I'm reminded that we're going to be together in person uh, in a, just a matter of weeks. So really looking yeah. forward to that. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a little sad from my garden. Uh, I just, just walked out there a moment ago and uh, looked at how uh, dry <laughs> it is. Um, and the, the curious reaction that my cat has trying to walk over it and kind of go, Where, where's the grass? Uh, but... Uh, other than that, no, I'm, I'm similarly really looking forward to seeing you because it's been a very long time um, because of COVID and, yeah. uh, you know, just feeling generally optimistic. Excellent. All right. So let me introduce our guest today. Today, we are joined by Anna Anderson. Anna is the founder and CEO of Kindred, West London's private members club, and was recently included in Code Hospitality's 30 Under 30, which celebrates rising stars in the hospitality industry. She's a qualified social worker and social entrepreneur. She's passionate about creating physical spaces that combat loneliness and forge long-lasting connections that strengthen communities, which is what led her to founding Kindred in 2018 uh, with the idea of inclusivity at the heart of its mission. So much more than just your generic members club, Kindred does offer co-working spaces, but it is born out of a desire to encourage human relationships by way of a physical setting with food and entertainment at its heart, and we can't wait to hear all about that. Anna, welcome to The Evolving Leader. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's nice to be here. Anna, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I'm on holiday. I escaped to New York um, for a week to be with my family, so it's it's actually lovely just to take some headspace, physical space. Yes, so I'm enjoying that. <laughs> nice. Brilliant. Well, in in your um, in your bio, it states that mm. you believe in the power of business to achieve social change, um, and that's something that Scott and I deeply believe in. So, can can you give us your perspective as a starting point for this, and what what created that uh, belief in you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, the world is changing at a rapid pace, and um, and actually, you know, arguably has to change. Uh, I don't think we can keep pursuing growth at all costs. Markets are really powerful in achieving social good, as we know, and in theory can benefit everyone when it works well. Um, but as we know, market failure, you know, generates inequality, poverty, exploitation, environmental harm. All of these things have really just, you know, it, it, there's a backlash now and there, there's a lot of people saying, 
that they are now anti-capitalist and all this kind of thing. And I think, you know, getting rid of markets is just not is not the answer, in my view. Um, and, you know, to become too reliant on governments to solve our problems, well, you know, you're dealing with slower moving parts, you're dealing with bureaucracy and politics. Um, so for me, there's this middle ground, um, you know, where more entrepreneurs are, are now getting really interested in this question around how to pursue profit and purpose, um, you know, enter the social entrepreneur. And they, you know, they're realizing that some of our most painful social problems are actually actually solvable through business and can be profitable ventures as well, um, as well as socially and environmentally really valuable. Um, and I think there are two sides really driving this now. I think, you know, on one side is, you know, perhaps more obviously the consumer demanding better practices from businesses that they're buying from and are seriously rewarding new social businesses that, that are matching their values and sort of telling that story really well. But possibly even more powerful than the consumers um, are the employees who, you know, they don't want to work for the soulless corporation anymore. They don't, they're demanding better practices from the companies they're working in. Uh, better values and are actually voting with their feet and moving towards work, you know, with companies who are more innovative, socially focused and who they feel good about working for. And businesses are sort of scrabbling to keep up with the changes demanded of them. So uh, so the nimble social entrepreneur who is already kind of acting in the space is is really in the a real position of strength right now, I think. Hmm. So I'd love to hear more about your origin story of coming to this work. And I, I know you have a, a really rich background of doing um, incredibly important and challenging work. You were, you were a social worker um, working in child protection, domestic violence, children and gangs, family courts, and, and more. How did this inform or did this inform your, your concept of community and the role that business can and should play in the world? I mean, absolutely, right? I think everything that we do feeds into to our current story. Um, for me, social work, oh, wow. I mean, I loved it. Um, but I was frustrated at the individual kind of firefighting approach. So most families, you know, don't enjoy the experience of working with a social worker. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of at the hardest time in their lives. Um, Long-term change in that moment is going to be really important to establish uh, when you're kind of approaching them, you know, time of crisis, something bad's happened, you're in the house, you're telling them what to do to make it better. And it's just, it's just not really how people, it's not how to bring out the best in people in my view. I mean, mm. parenting, you know, my, my focus was children and families. So I'd work with a lot of parents, a lot of families and kids. And um, parenting is just hard anyway, right? <laughs> even when times are good. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, it's, it becomes almost impossible when you're having, you know, you have little to no income, your housing's really unstable, you're battling with all these things, mm. and your kids are battling with all the things that they're battling with. And you can also feel incredibly alone, whether you're, you know, in a relationship or not, but especially if you're a single parent, um, or if you, you know, don't have that strong sense of community around you. Um so social work is always at the mercy of politics of the day. So it's very easy for me to be critical. Um, but there was always, you know, there was always excellent, much work, much needed work happening. Um, but for me, it always made more sense for social work to use a much more community focused approach um, than it, than it mm. currently does. It's very individualistic, very house to house, case by case. And I've always felt yeah. frustrated, you know, longer term investment in community services, empowering families to actually, you know, access the support that they needed to be the best parents they could be could just be a really powerful way of, of kind of thinking about the problem. And um, I found as a social worker, I would naturally think more systemically um, about the problems that I was looking at and consequently found it quite difficult to be motivated to work in such an individual case by case sort of mode. Um, so when I started thinking outside the box, I mean, my, my dad, who is a great mentor to me and, um, an entrepreneur in his own right, he sort of asked me, you know, the big question, you know, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I was like, oh, wow, like, (laughs) you know, what a question. And I started thinking about, you know, other options for my career. And initially I was drawn to sort of a charity model. That was my, that was my world that I was operating in, you know, a, a beautiful community space with big, long tables, everyone eating together and gathering and feeling that sense of connection. And, you know, then I looked at the political climate and I knew I'd spending my life trying to struggle to raise money just to survive. And I knew I would hate that and be really bad at it. So um, mm. instead, I decided to explore a business, a sort of a social business concept. Um, and I got really mm. interested in loneliness and what that means for different kinds of people. Um, and there's some super interesting research. Uh, there's a book written by Susan Pinker, um, her book, The Village Effect, where 
she finds out, you know, of all these other indicators that we consider really important in terms of how, you know, how much we smoke, how much we drink, eat, you know, what we're eating, how much we exercise, where we live, how much we sleep, all of these things. The best indicator for our overall happiness, well-being and like longevity is, and, you know, how much, how long we actually live is how strong our sense of community is and how much mm. face-to-face contact we have on a regular basis. It's that simple. Um, mm. You know, as humans, we're hardwired to be connected to others. Um, and this is why I started Kindred. I, I just wanted to create, you know, a physical space that could build connection in what I felt was an increasingly disconnected world. Um, we're very good at mm. online connection, but it's sort of the art of meeting people in person is getting lost. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to make that easier. Tell us a little bit about Kindred. How does it work? So Kindred is um, a a number of things, but ultimately it's an independent members club. Um, And a members club uh, has a lot of connotations to it. Um, It can feel exclusive. It can feel a little snobbish. Um, But we, um, we really believe in inclusion and we care about people coming together in, um, a beautiful environment where they can escape what they are doing, or maybe they can enhance what they're doing by being more connected with others. So in practice, that is, um, we have this beautiful building uh, in Hammersmith in London, uh, and it's three floors. And on each floor, there's something kind of different happening. Um, on our on the top two floors, members can kind of come in and they can use a space however they like. I mean, people have very hybrid lifestyles now. So they they um, work, you know, different days a week or they, you know, they have different kinds of portfolio careers. So they have this job here and then they've got the side hustle and they, they're starting a business here or whatever. And so so people kind of need spaces to match that need for creativity, need for meeting people in different contexts. Um, so, yeah, so they can come and use the space how they like, have lunch meetings, bring their laptop, um, come and relax, whatever it is. And in the evenings, it kind of transforms and we put on these amazing events. So we have a lot of really cool live music. Um, we have great supper clubs. Um, we have talk events. We have um, workshops, uh, comedy, all that kind of thing. And it's all designed just to kind of help you find your tribe, help you find people. And a lot of the people that have found us, um, you know, they've built lifelong friendships and connections. Uh, we even had... Um, when, in the very early days, we had a couple, you know, meet each other at Kindred, get engaged, and then get married at Kindred uh, a year later. <laughs> so it's kind of it kind wow. of creates that environment where it does, you know, make you feel like you're belonging to something. I mean, we wanted to create that kind of feeling. You know, when you go to like a festival or a conference where everyone's really excited to be there, and you're just you're just suddenly so open to meeting new people and you're like, Hey, how are you? I'm this and this. And all of your inhibitions just leave you because you know that that environment fosters that kind of connection. That's what we wanted to create kindred and our staff are trained to, you know, connect with people and, and, and help people connect with each other. So if they hear that you're, you know, you're starting a business and you're really looking for a graphic designer, they will know who they can introduce you to. And that's, that's how we kind of uh, operate. Um, And we also have, um, you know, we don't want it to be entirely, um, for, for members, so our ground floor is dedicated to our um, all-day cafe and bar. Um, we serve really good food and drink. It's called Cellar. And, um, yeah, that's a lot of fun as well because there's a lot of officers that work locally who just want a really cool local hangout. Um, so we do low-intervention wines, great cocktails, um, beautiful seasonal um, European-inspired uh, dishes by Chef Andrew Clark. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> So you, you you started this two years pre pandemic. How did it? How did uh, COVID impact the the whole business model for you? Yeah, well, we actually were operating just over a year um, before uh, before the pandemic. So we opened the building uh, December twenty eighteen, and um, then obviously we were shut March mm. end of March twenty twenty um, for pandemic. How did it affect us? Um, it crippled us. Like we closed, we had to close. Um, and when we were allowed to open, we were open with restrictions. Um, and no money came in um, during the time we were closed, for sure. And when we were open with, with restrictions, it was really, really difficult because we, it wasn't so much of the restrictions. It was more people's behavior had changed. People didn't want to, you know, people felt anxious. People felt like they didn't want to come in. So we were just, you know, we were quieter. Um, however, I would say that when, when we were open and we put on, we had this amazing series of, um, 
music events where a lot of the West End actors were out of work because the theatres had all shut. And they kind of all found mm. us because they all know each other. And, and so we were able to put on these incredible music nights with these incredible talented musicians who just wanted to perform and people wanted to come and see them perform. So that was like a highlight for me during COVID. But it was really, really tough. We had no money coming in. Um, and we just went into loads of debt. And um, But, you know, I, I, I feel good about the lessons that we learned during that time. When we were closed, we were able to really assess actually how is the space working for us we big, we did a big redesign during that time um, we used that opportunity while we were shut to kind of change the things we wanted to change so I think it's you know I've got a long-term mindset with Kindred and I think it was a really tough start and it kind of still is tough right now um, but I think when you're thinking longer term it's you kind of think okay if we can get through this, we can get through anything. Um, let's just keep going, shall we? <laughs> so. It seems that a lot of people might have might have walked away, uh, you know, having to close down. But um, why 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 are you so committed to this? What what is the passion behind it for you? Ah, uh, it's such an interesting question for me. It's just it's just it's a lot of fun. Like it's a lot of fun creating mm. a space. I think. I really do believe in its ability to, even even if it's just a standalone site um, at the end of the day, to model a space that really believes that people coming together is a good thing, not only for individuals, but for society as a whole. I think we've designed cities, you know, to be very efficient uh, and depending on the city that you're in, um, all about productivity, all about kind of growth, and we haven't really designed those spaces to bring people together. Now, I grew up going to church. Um, I don't go anymore. But I think, you know, churches, mosques, temple, wherever you go to worship, if, if that's what you do, they have community down. Pat. Like they are very, very good at fostering community because you have that sense of, first of all, it's a physical building traditionally, right? You go there and you go there regularly and you have that in your routine and you see the same people every day and you, you people know your name and, and you feel like you feel seen, you know, and you know that they would miss you if you weren't there that week. And that can sometimes feel a little pressuring or it's good and bad. But but that idea of feeling like not lost in this, like, I think a lot of people just feel incredibly lonely and not seen and not have that sense of belonging. So we really wanted to create a secular, non-religious version of of that feeling of when I turn up, I feel seen. I feel that sense of belonging. I get that these are my people. Um, you know, th this is this is a group of people that I feel I can talk to about the world and about the big things, and that excites me. Um, so I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the vision. And I, I do think you know we are we are good at making you know making connections online, but we have lost. And my, um, you know, my, my, my friend Alex Smith, who runs the Cares family, it's all about trying to tackle loneliness for the older and the younger by bringing them together. It's a really beautiful organization. But he talks about, you know, the young are very good at making connections, but they, they've lost their roots. And this feeling of building back your roots um, has always kind of been part of what Kindred is doing, I think. I'd like to dig into the loneliness topic a little bit more in a moment, but before we do that, I'm, mm. I'm interested in just staying with the challenge of balancing the, um, the economics and the purpose of Kindred. We had Ranjay <laughs> Galati, who's a Harvard uh, professor who's just written a book called Deep Purpose, and he talked about the razor's edge of trying to, you know, you don't please anybody, you don't please shareholders, you don't please anybody when you're trying to balance um, uh purpose-driven organizations what you have to do is just manage that paradox and be happy with it mm. and, and i think a big part of that is what you you just described there which has got to have a long-term commitment and view because if you don't you can't you're always flip-flopping between those things but tell me what you've learned about the shared values you have to create between you know your team your um your audience the community How, what are the shared values that hold this thing together for you i think kind of coming back to your first question, that business doesn't have to be just about growth and profit at all costs. I think entrepreneurs 
get a lot from starting a business. Some some entrepreneurs are just there to make money, I think. But for entrepreneurs who go into something like hospitality, where the margins are super tight, if they're there at all, um, and you're working long hours and the building keeps breaking down and you're just battling, 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 and you're dealing with customers. You complain about this and that, and it's meant to be cooked that way. And, you know, and you're sort of like, why am I doing this? And I think a lot of people start a business, not just for profit. They start a business because it just brings them a lot of joy and because you want to work with people. And I think that in the kind of the rat race, uh, people have forgotten that business is people and it's, joyful and actually what is life about if not to find those moments of joy and um boy yeah it's not (laughs) it is hard to make money in this industry especially now um and especially if you care about things like you know paying your employees well and um you know making a beautiful space that is well maintained and looked after and buying good ingredients that are from you know sustainable growers who care about the earth and uh, are not just there to exploit so you know you have a lot of competing things i think you know we we see a lot of stuff about you know 10 lessons that i've learned at the end of my life that i want to share with the younger generation it's always about it's never about i wanted to make more money it's always about i wanted to spend more time with the people i love i wanted to you know, live a life that had, you know, value and meaning and I want to make connection. You know, it's all of this other stuff that is important. So I think it's kind of just reframing, reframing that. And I think when you build something based on those kinds of values, you attract people with those values. Um, mm. So you attract, you know, team members who care deeply because they, you know, they, they, they are in a position of strength right now. Like they can choose where they want to work, which is great. So businesses are really having to put their values on their sleeve and be like, hey, this is what we're about. And um, and it attracts some of the coolest people because they are like, ah, yes, I want to work there. Um, and then you kind of grow and grow and grow because they push you. And similarly, you know, your customers are finding you because they have so much choice with how they spend their time and where they spend their money. Um, and they're picky, you know, they want to be, they want to be careful with, where they're, with who they're supporting. So I think... I think that is, you know, that's always going to be important to us. Just putting it out there, what you what you care about. You know, we pay our staff London living wage at least, if not more. And we, you know, we've just introducing, you know, mental health support and period days off and lots of different things because we just think that happy, you know, happy team is a is a happy company, of course. Um, but it's more than that. It's it's kind of genuinely prioritizing other things as well as the bottom line um if i had to put you on the spot and say regardless of covid what value do you really care most about that constantly in trying to pursue your commercial viability and sustainability you know keeps keeps you up at night in terms of pursuing which one is most likely to get compromised that uh, you struggle with i think when you're when you're operating a business especially a business like mine i mean my roots are social work and i said you know, before I wanted to start a charity to make it accessible for everyone. As soon as you put a price point on your product, you're excluding people. Um, you know, there's 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 always that decision. And a members club is is a tricky it's a tricky line to walk when you're talking about values of inclusion and inclusivity and all that. And you know, we want to make everyone welcome because you're putting a price point on it that immediately means that some people are not going to be able to come in. Um, so that piece is always tricky because on the one hand, you know, you want it to be open to everyone, but on the other hand, if you make it open to everyone, then kind of, it, it doesn't belong to anyone. It's sort of, it, you know, people won't have that sense of recognition and that sense of belonging that we're trying to foster. So I think that, that one is the most difficult thing to balance. And especially when you're looking at rising prices, cost of living, Um, people are super sensitive to where they're spending their money and we want to be supportive of that at the same time we have a really quality product that does cost us a lot of money to get in and to make and I'm supporting my staff and they have their rising costs and 
So you're kind of having to balance. <laughs> it's the same with any social business though. Like as soon as you charge for it, it's like, oh, well, what about your values of being social? So, you know, there's that kind of difficult mm, tension there. But I do think the world is changing and that people are recognizing that it's not as simple as if you're a charity, you're good. And if you're a business, you're bad. There's, you know, there's a middle ground where people actually want to spend their money on good things and nice things and to feel good about, you know, how they're spending the time. And uh, yeah, that, it, but that's a, that's a tricky one <laughs> for sure. Yeah. How do you make people aware of it? How do you, how do you spread the word for, for people who may be experiencing loneliness and would really benefit from being coming, from becoming part of this community? Yeah, that's a really, yeah, um, that's a good question. And that's one of our biggest, our biggest battles. And I think one of the biggest myths that was debunked for me very early on is build it and they will come. Um, it's yeah, Kevin <laughs> Costner's a liar. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you can build the most beautiful space and easy to get location with okay footfall. And, uh, but getting people aware of what you're doing and connected to that message um, is, is hard. I also think that you know, I've had a lot of conversations about loneliness and um, people are like, oh yeah, it's not very sexy. Like you don't really want to be like, hey, lonely people come in, like this is <laughs> like this is your place. Like we'll look after you. Um, and so <laughs> <laughs> it's not a very, you know, people don't want to think of themselves as lonely. It feels quite vulnerable to sort of say, hey, I'm lonely and I'm looking yeah. for something that makes me yeah. feel less lonely. So you kind of have to say it without saying it. Um, I mean, I say it a lot because I just think, let's just talk about it more. I think it's a good thing if people can kind of own it a bit more. Um, but I think it's about, you know, that feeling when you walk in, like nothing is a, you know, nothing is a problem. We, we get to know you. We, we're not just here to fleece you for as much as you've got, you know, we want you to feel well looked after and wanted. And, um, and it's also recognizing that people are introverts and people are extroverts and people have different needs in terms of that connection piece. Um, so we're not going to force it down your throat. We're not going to be like, hey, welcome. Right. Here's seven people that you need to meet straight away. Um, and you can feel really, really uncomfortable about that. Um, no, we just let you come and use a space how you like to. We have little events that you can join in and like coffee morning where you can meet people really casually um, or you can just, you know, hunker down and get get to work and just be kind of near people if that's what makes you feel comfortable. So, yeah, I think, I mean, marketing is a nightmare, um, as I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Um, <laughs> and marketing comes in all sorts of forms. But for me, the most powerful is the word of mouth. And if we can do it well, people will tell their friends, people will talk about it. Or when they meet someone, they might be like, hey, like, I belong to this place. You should come and check it out. And that is just the best, um, the best way to, to spread the word. We're also super local. So we're West London focused. Most of our community comes from sort of 20 minutes walk outside. Um, so we are very, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's sort of hyper local, but it's still, it's still tough to get, to get the word out there about what we're doing. There's so much noise. Um, do you yeah. have a vision for scaling beyond West London? Do you see this being a, a movement that could happen in other parts of London and, and maybe other cities around the world? Yes. In short, yes. Um, in long, I, it's tough. Like, you know, this model is a tough model and we've had, well, we've been open four years now and nearly four years. And it's, um, it's not easy to make the, the numbers work, especially if you're kind of dealing with rising costs, you know, employees, mm -hmm. you know, uh, all this kind of thing. So in theory, I think there is a demand for it as long as it's done strategically, uh, strategically in the right positions and with the right kind of spaces. I will always be interested in building spaces. Um, I love, I love buildings. I love, I love the kind of physicality of the, of a business. I, I, I'm never going to be someone that starts an app. Um, so I'll always kind of operate in the space. I don't know if, if it's appropriate in this time to grow, you know, I, I think, I think there are a lot of businesses that, you know, their version of success is to grow at all costs. Um, for me, it's about being intentional with what you're doing. Every space or every business or every new branch of whatever has to kind of be solving a local need. Otherwise, you're just taking. And, you know, I could open another kindred, you know, somewhere else in Bristol 
and it could be great and I could be really benefiting from that and there could be a real demand. Um, I could be taking from three other community cafes that were, you know, doing what I want to do, which is to, you know, help people connect and feel less lonely and all this kind of thing. And so there's kind of this tension there um, in terms of just growing because I can, you know, because I've got the investment, mm-hmm. I've got the cash, or I've got the brand. Um, so I think, you know, there's other things I'm interested in. There's co-housing concepts um, that I'm excited about. There's uh, making, you know, uh, places more uh, accessible for, for people with, with disabilities. That that excites me. You know, so I'm wondering about this kind of growth question um, for Kindred, because it, it just may not be the best way to, to deliver the most social impact. Sure, sure. What about you as a leader? You know, you... you, you shared some of your values about paying your people, you know, appropriate living wage and, um, you know, caring for, you know, everybody's needs and, and, and what they have in their, in their work experience. But what lessons have you been learning about yourself as a leader? Oh, yeah. Interesting. I, um, I've actually been on a little bit of a journey with this because I think when you start something, um, you take it all on and it becomes your burden and your joy and you kind of do it all some of it really well some of it really badly and I think um, I think I'm really learning now that and I'm very quick to say oh I failed you know I'm I if, if something goes wrong I take it all on for myself I'm like everything that goes wrong in Kindred is essentially my fault because I'm at the top and I make the calls and you know I can take ultimate responsibility and I think I'm learning now that actually there's a balance there you know there's team accountability there's there's things to put in place um and I'm also trying really hard to just be kinder to myself and more accepting of myself as the entrepreneur that I am I'm good at certain things and I am not good at others and trying to do all of it um badly (laughs) it's not good for me the team the business uh, at all so I've actually more recently you know made some strategic hires um, some really great operator types who can look at situation and pull order from chaos whereas I feel really comfortable walking into chaos and just dealing with the chaos you know and I think but Mm -hmm. in a quite chaotic manner (laughs) um, my team will tell you so I get inspired and I get excited about new ideas and I can communicate those ideas and I, I want to put on events and I want to support the team and get excited about what they're doing. But in terms of that sort of operator type piece, um, we've gone the long way around to get to where we need to go because I'm held back in that, in that space. I am, I am not, uh, yeah, in terms of the judging prospecting spectrum on the um, Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. and much more prospecting. So, you know, accepting that bringing in people that enhance your business, that take on an area of weakness in your own uh, ability, leadership, whatever, is not failure, it is strength. And I'm trying very hard to remember that. Um, and I think it's going to free up a lot of my, what I think of as my superpowers, um, much more than, you know, if I'm struggling with, different kind of, you know, operations style stuff. Hi, this is Phil Kirby, producer of the Evolving Leader podcast. It seems like an age ago when we kicked off season two of the podcast with neuroscientist Stuart Feierstein. During the episode, Scott and John dig into Stuart's counterintuitive thinking on ignorance and failure as propelling forces in problem solving and innovation. If you've not listened to this episode, then add it to your to-do list. It's a great conversation. You'll also find a clip from the episode on our YouTube channel. And as always, I've left links in the show notes. One of the areas I'm really interested in digging into a bit more is that when you're trying to create a social enterprise, I think it's easy for the founders to to get lost in a trap that what they believe in passionately and their vision for it can become a business model. And mm-hmm. for the the problem they're solving to not actually be part of how they create capture and deliver value. It's sort of like a side thing. So how do you integrate mm. that? You know, the problem you're solving for, I was very um, taken with Narina Hertz book, the lonely century. 
and and she was talking about loneliness as not just something people suffer on their own but it's actually something that we suffer collectively when parts mm. of society are suffering and it causes illness and disease and undermines tolerance and you know it threatens democracy yeah. um she was talking about it being you know a a consequence of political you know recent political polarization that um so it's it's a really systemic set of issues that we're talking about urbanization creates it screen time creates it all sorts of things create it um so where where does the other than the obvious part of bringing people together and helping them is is there you know how do you see how you create capture and deliver value in your business model tying into the problem you're solving it's a really great question and a hard question so thank you very much for asking it um i think (laughs) Yeah, this is oh, this is the tough one, isn't it? For social businesses, how do you battle that? Well, not battle. How do you manage that tension between the very practical need to make enough money to survive with your initial motivation, your intention of, in my case, connecting people, tackling loneliness, etc. And what happens if I step away? And my amazing operators then just, you know, it just then gets pulled away from that, you know, initial motivating factor and what makes us special. And it becomes all about, you know, actually we can make more money here. We can, we can build out our margins here. You know, this is it. And we're going to just leave this stuff behind or we're not going to measure this. Um, that tension, I think, is something that every social entrepreneur is really familiar with. And there's some really interesting models now where um, shareholders are, you know, releasing more funds once certain once certain criteria are met in terms of the social the social side of things um to make sure that those um you know those things don't get lost in terms of the you know the pull towards making more money um i think with kindred you know we're there's definitely more that we could be doing in terms of measuring actually you know what that what that looks like and how much impact we are having and i would love to do more you know, a lot of it is is for now for us because we're fairly small. Um, is all anecdotal at the moment, and um, and it's you know listening to our members, helping helping uh, you know them helping us understand how we've impacted on their lives, um, the charities that are approaching us to run their events with us. You know, it's it's kind of those are the softer things that. Um, that are kind of indicating to us that that we're doing right by what we by what we set out to do. I think in terms of loneliness, it's definitely become more of a conversation since we started. Not saying that we're <laughs> responsible for that. There's an inevitability of that. But I think if we feel like people are actually coming to us and being like, hey, I really identified with what you were saying. Um, I I was literally looking up, you know, places to go if you're lonely and I found you. That for us tells us that we're doing something right. Um, and it's something we share in our in our team and we feel feel good about. And it also rewards us because, you know, we're bringing in people for, the, for that message. Um, there is a tension there and that it's, you know, it's hard to prioritize that over we need to sell three bottles of champagne tonight because we just need that spend per head up or whatever. So it's, um, it, it's a tricky one and it's something we would love to do better. It, the problem is, is that no one has really, really modeled this very well. Loneliness is hard uh, to measure and it's hard to measure when it's like, you know, doing well. So we, we kind of, we kind of think, okay, are people turning up? Are people making friendships when they when they didn't know anyone in London before and if that's the case then great and we're doing well but we're not I think as an organization we could be a lot better at measuring that and really shouting about those successes for sure what's a word you might have for a listener who's nowhere near West London but Mm -hmm. is really compelled by what you're saying and maybe resonating with much of it and kind of acknowledging to themselves right now yeah, I do have a bit of loneliness and I don't have a space like that near me. What what might they do? So I would argue that there's always a space near you um, mm. to find your people. It can be harder. And, and there are some spaces that naturally gather people 
but without intending to. So the local, you know, cafe or the pub or a, or a sports club or, um, you know, they kind of they kind of naturally garner that that sense of community that you might be looking for. Um, you know, I I think loneliness can be you can be in the busiest place in the world and you can have a thousand friends and you can have a loving loving relationship and your family can be close by and you can still feel lonely and so I think it's about identifying oh okay why am I feeling so alone like what is it like is it that I'm spending way too much time scrolling on Instagram and comparing my life with others and feeling crappy when I do maybe that's something I, I can address is it that I actually just need to invest a little bit in my myself and my mental health and have someone that I can talk to in a professional context, which is something that we talk very openly about kindred. You know, a lot of us are in therapy and we actually, you know, are starting to support our team to, to access one-to-one um, -one therapy when they want to, that we're paying for. Like, you know, it's kind of just thinking about if I, if I, if it's not about people and lack of people, if I'm, you know, if I'm isolated, then yes, there are places you can go. There are, community spaces and cafes and pubs and sports clubs and activity clubs and you know maybe a different place of work that you can kind of seek out but loneliness is often from within and it's um and it's about I feel disconnected from myself I feel disconnected from others I don't know what to say I don't know what to talk about um and I think identifying some of the things in your life that may be inhibiting you from reaching out and feeling confident in what you know in who you are so you can then meet another person um yeah that, that i you know starting there for sure um i do think that there is i mean every single business now is talking about community like you know mm -hmm. it, <laughs> we we built a business model on it um and now we don't sort of say it as much in our marketing because it's so noisy like everyone is talking about community so now we talk about other things like human connection and conversation and ideas for a better tomorrow and and stuff like that because i think you know everyone is realizing how important community is for your well-being for your happiness and so it is you know you can find it you can find it you i would say that people often say they want community and actually what they mean by that is they don't actually want to talk to people or connect with people. They kind of just want to be around people. And I think that yeah. that's okay because we really celebrate the extroverted personality type. We have traditionally celebrated that type. And I think mm -hmm. the introvert has been an under-celebrated type. And often, you know, we are very attached to a few people but we just kind of want to be around people sometimes. It's not that, you know, we don't necessarily want to have to talk to them or like connect with them or make conversation because it, it's exhausting for a lot of people, but it, but it is about being near people and to just have the occasional interaction, like, Hey, how are you? Great. Cool. Done. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think as soon as you try and force it down people's throats, that's not what they want um, a lot of the time. Uh, and we've kind of discovered that uh, through our events programming and all this kind of thing. Um, sometimes it is as simple as just inviting people into a space and being like, hey, hang out with me for the day. You don't have to talk, just hang out. And that's a good thing. And in these days of, you know, many companies having gone full remote or mostly remote, um, what you're saying essentially is we're going to have to be even more intentional about making sure we, we find our connections. Absolutely. Um, yes, my feelings about working from home are very mixed. Um, because I think in one, you know, in some ways it frees up people to have the lifestyle that they want, especially for, you know, pe like parents is a, is a massive thing. Um, I would say that, you know, it's, it's tough for the economy as we've set it up. So it's tough for hospitality businesses, for retail businesses. When people aren't coming to the office, we feel this very intensely and it's tough in terms of, you know, that feeling of being part of something. Um, mm -hmm. I think when you're working from home, it's hard to feel part of a team. I think, you know, some, some organizations are excellent at fostering that online connection and that, you know, that, that kind of style of working. But I, I do think it's, it, it's hard. Um, there are some cool things happening though. Like, uh, you know, people are gathering together intentionally. So from different organizations, so people are setting up kind of 
virtual, not virtual, uh, in-person working clubs where people can gather together. And, you know, if they don't want to pay for a co-working space or a members club, they can um, go to like a cafe and just meet together, have a coffee, then everyone gets down to their work. And it just is a little bit, so you're still kind of working from home, you're working how you want to work, but it's uh, it's in a more kind of communal human way which is what people like about office working to be around others mm-hmm. um which is cool so yeah it's it's just about deciding what your priorities are because i know that a lot of people work from home as a lifesaver and um but yes we need people we need face to face your point about um somebody can be in a great relationship working with great colleagues and still feel lonely um mm. but perhaps is cut off to that understanding they, they don't have the self-awareness and they might be masking it with some of the things you talked about like just constantly looking at their phone or other other things that numb that feeling out you gave some sort of diagnostic questions there is there anything else that you think would help people to come to terms with what they're actually feeling yeah interesting it's really hard to to name it because it's different for everybody everyone has a different experience of loneliness um, but I think one of the big, the big, okay. So one of the big drivers in my mind of loneliness, and I saw this in social work, especially with kids, um, it starts very, very young is this very individualistic culture that we have going on. Um, so I think we moved away from a very community focused culture that was almost like kind of oppressive because everyone's kind of in each other's business and it's sort of, you know, um, you know, everyone's kind of trying to, there's sort of a controlling structure there. And, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of problematic things when there's a really strong community culture as well as good things. And I think swinging back to sort of individual expression, freedom, um, you know, your dream, you know, your, your dreams can become reality, do whatever you want to do, you know, all this kind of thing. I think that's been really great and freeing for a lot of people, but it's also come at a cost where you are constantly comparing yourself to others. Like we can't help it. Um, we can't help, but compare. And I think it just, uh, it, it, it just makes us miserable. (laughs) Um, you can have everything. You can be incredibly successful you can be beautiful you can be wonderful and fun and great and you have great friends but as soon as you see someone else doing it slightly better or you know you have an insecurity and it's sort of oh my gosh they don't have that and that's amazing you you just make yourself miserable and so I think like and this is like an in a, living in an unequal society as well you know the, we we forget that there are people who are living in communities where there's so much wealth and they have absolutely nothing and they're constantly feeling not good enough and it's like why and there's no there's no reason for it and so i think in terms of in terms of how we can move through that recognizing it for what it is that this is a systemic problem and this isn't this isn't you this isn't something wrong with you this is something that very clever companies have created um, and we have accidentally created in society. We've, we've kind of created this imbalance. Um, it's not you. Um, and therefore, if it's not you, then you can, we, you, you know, you can connect, you can feel part of something again. I do think that nothing makes us more lonely when we don't have like a shared vision with another person. So I think um, finding the things that you care about, joining those clubs or those communities is going to be really important, whether it's something like metal detecting or or like a sports club or, you know, signing up to go to like a TEDx um, and learning about ideas, um, joining a supper club and meet and eating with people around a table. Those are the things that, just build those little moments of connection that make you feel a little bit less alone and also talking about your loneliness I think once you've identified it to talk about it I have found when you start talking about loneliness everyone has their lonely story everyone has an experience of loneliness or they know someone who's lonely and I think they just people are afraid of being pitied or afraid of being embarrassed but I think people just deeply respect it Um, and I think when you can start talking about it and owning it and being like you know what I'm I, you know, I live alone. I'm lonely. I hate it. 
uh, this is how I manage it. People are just like, wow, that's cool. Like, good for you. Because everyone is aware that this is a thing that touches everyone. Anna, as we come to the end of our time, is there anything else that we should be talking about or any messages that you would like to, to give to our audience? Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've said a lot. <laughs> I think, I think for me, the world of work is changing. Um, I know you guys had a, had one of your episodes talking about the future of work. Um, but I think more and more people are going to turn to business as a way of making money and, um, and finding meaning as well. And I think that a lot of people, especially people um, who don't come from wealthy means or privileged means um, and see a lot of barriers to starting a business and a lot of risk, you know, I would say, I would say think of it as a genuine career choice um, and especially the social business angle, because the social side shouldn't be holding you back from achieving your aims. There are some incredibly uh, successful social businesses out there who have managed to genuinely solve a social problem and people want to pay for it, you know, and that's, that's amazing. So I think encouraging people to really go into social business as a, as a career choice, um, especially young people when they're thinking about, because young people are super entrepreneurial, like they, that, you know, they are desperate to, to make something of themselves. And I think it like, you know, encouraging that kind of thinking, Turns out you can Google anything. Like I literally built Kindred on Google. Like I was just Googling everything. <laughs> I didn't have a fancy business degree. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. That's also a great way to learn. Um, but I think, I think just, you know, wear your values on your sleeve. Find a social problem that really bugs you and you really want to solve. You can probably make a business out of it. If in doubt, Google it. And um, yeah, and and also think of life as more than just how do I make money? How do I find joy? How do I give joy? Um, and how do I build a more connected, passionate world? That's, that's, that would be my, that would be my takeaways. <laughs> how can our audience get in touch with you, Anna? So, um, so we're, uh, at wearekindred.com. So my email is Anna at wearekindred.com. Uh, and our Instagram is at London Kindred. Um, so yeah, so just ask for Anna and also just pop in if you're in Hammersmith. Um, it's the gateway into uh, West London. So often everyone passes Kindred and they don't even realize. But um, if you're if you're passing through on your way to Heathrow, on your way in, come in and grab a coffee. I'm usually there. I pretty much live there. So Brilliant. I think our leaders will have got a huge amount of inspiring, insightful and very practical ways of thinking about, um, you know, lots of different things here both in terms of solving some of the problems that you're setting out to solve but also how to to think about turning their purpose into a very practical um way of living um through through building their own business so anna thank you very much for joining us on the evolving leader thank you so much for yeah, having thank me guys you, thank you and for our listeners remember the world is evolving are you <laughs>